Oh, we are in this sermon series called Five Stones, and so far we have talked about the presence of God that is with us no matter what. No matter where we are and how we find ourselves at the footstool of God's throne and God's glory, when we as faithful people bow our heads in prayer, the gates of heaven are thrown open and we find ourselves there at, this, at, the, at God's throne, the foot of that throne and God's glory. And then we talked about faith. We consider what faith means. That it's our surrendering, our trusting, our whole being, our listening obediently with our whole being to the living God who is present with us. So really, it's more than just a cognitive step. It's more than just belief. This reaches deep, and this reaches into a, a term we call trust. That faith is about trusting. Faith is about taking a risk. Are we willing to risk it all? Risk our whole being? Risk our life? Everything is at stake. Are we willing to trust Christ with that? With everything. That's faith. And if we are willing and we do take that step and we take that step and that decision and we respond to God's presence and God's calling and we obediently hear and we listen to God's calling and we respond by trusting in Christ with our whole being, we will find ourselves in a sense of freedom. Free from what all has held us in bondage as far as our whole being is concerned, our soul, our spirit, our emotions. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're going to get everything we ask for, everything that we want, everything our heart desires. It just means we're going to have a sense of freedom and a sense of peace that is beyond description. It's beyond our own manufacture, our own capacity, our own capabilities, because this is a gift from God. You know, when I was, um, when I was thinking about this sermon, and um, there was a lot going on, if you were um, paying attention to the news the past couple of weeks or the past couple of years or past couple of decades, you know there's a lot going on in the world. Um, Israel and Hamas are at odds yet again. Uh, China and Taiwan are still disputing. Russia and Ukraine are still fighting. Um, our country is tied up in knots in a gridlock based on all kinds of lines, not just political, but it's everywhere. And on top of all of that stuff that's going on on a grand scale, this past week, um, this church, this church family, mourned with one of our own as a 16-year-old boy was killed in a car accident. And we had that service on Friday. The church reached out with grace and with hospitality that was unbelievable. 
the family could feel that warmth and that, that surrounding like a blanket wrapped around them. It was a powerful moment. In all of that grief and all of that sense of loss, it was a powerful moment. Because the church, because of the church's faith, because this gift of God, the church felt free to be the church. To follow God's call and to extend itself beyond itself and to surround this family with love and grace and hospitality. As I continue to think back about what it means to be free and what it means to, to, to stand and live in faith and trusting God, I, I, go even, I go way back. When I was a, a first year of seminary in, in, at Emory, we're all appointed to different places all over um, the community in Atlanta. So there's some 200, 250 students, first year students that are just appointed all over the place. Well, my appointment was to a place called Wesley Woods. Um, it's on the campus of, of Emory, and it's a, a nursing home, and um, it's a geriatric hospital. It's an assisted living tower. It's a medical community. It is a huge campus. And I was appointed to be a chaplain to the geriatric psych unit and to a nursing home, the seventh floor of the nursing home. And I had to go there every week. I would say I got to go there every week, but no, I had to go every week. For at least four hours a week. And be a chaplain on that floor and in that unit. I have, I've spoken of this many times because it was so such an impression on me. When I was taken, uh, given my tour, they said, here you're going to be, you're going to be here in the geriatric unit. And they took me to the hospital. We walked down this corridor. The um, head chaplain typed in a code to unlock the door. And we went in and the chaplain said, this is where you're going to be um, every week. Um, you know, just kind of split your time. And um, if, you ha if you have any questions or concerns, just ask one of the nurses and they'll help you. Um, so just go be you. Go do ministry. That was my introduction to the psych unit. There were probably, I don't know, 12 or 18 beds, rooms in that unit. And I, I didn't know what to do. And right before she left, she said, now be careful of that man over there because he will yell at you if you get too close. I'm like, that's it? That's, that's it? And she turned and left. And the door closed behind her, and I was locked in. And I, I remember just kind of spinning around this room going, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. I am clueless here. And so I found my way around. I kind of sat and watched and listened for what felt like eons. And finally, I, after several weeks, I was able to kind of navigate that unit and just kind of find myself next to somebody who would, may, or may not talk. May not know where they are, or who they are, or what they're doing, or what's going on, or anything. I never got comfortable 
in that unit. I never felt secure. I never felt like I was of any help. But I was there every week for an hour or two. And then I would split my time on the seventh floor of the nursing home, which was across the campus. And so I walked across the campus and I would go to the seventh floor and the nurses would tell me, well, these people, here's a handful of people who could probably use some visits. They, could, they don't get very many visitors. And so I spent most of my time with about six or eight people on that nursing home floor. I got to know some of them very well. I got to hear about their families, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, where they lived, where they were from. They asked me about my family and where I'm from. But there were some in that room I really had a hard time getting close to, or that, 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 that hall. There were some that I just really couldn't understand. There were some that were dealing with dementia. They were dealing with some serious physical um, conditions that were debilitating. There was one particular woman. Her name was Miss Hitch. And she was confined to her bed because of her spine and um, debilitating arthritis. She could not get out of the bed. And so I spent every week, I spent some time with her, and we would read the upper room together because she could not see anymore. She was basically blind, legally blind. Um, And we would read, and we would pray, and we would talk, and we would laugh, and she would share her dreams with me. Every week, I would go in and I would ask her, so what did you dream? And she would tell me about her husband who had died decades before. That she and her husband had, had sat down, he had come home and taken off his shoes, put on his slippers, the paper was ready, as she prepared him a drink, and he sat in his easy chair and he read and they talked. And they talked about their home and they talked about their children And they laughed. Every week, I would hear about her visits with her husband, Hitch. Another another woman did not know that she was no longer a librarian. But she would show me her library in her room every, every week. She would lay out the books and tell me what they're all about. She would call them by names that they were not. She would tell me stories about these books that were not in them. And it was incredible. And there was one woman, Miss Sarah, and she was always by the elevator, always close to the the door, because she wanted to go. I don't know where she wanted to go, but she wanted to go. And they had her fastened in in there in such a way because her back was so bent that she literally had to strain to look up to make eye contact. And I remember every week I would get there, and usually she was in some kind of trouble because she had tried to get in the elevator, had tried to talk somebody into letting her go down with them because she was wanting to, I don't know where, like I said, I don't know where she wanted to go, but she wanted to go. She wanted to be free from that chair. She wanted to be free from that hallway. She wanted to be free from that building. She wanted to get out of there. And I had the hardest time understanding her speech patterns. The hardest time. 
And I was so uncomfortable just uh, when I would sit down in a chair next to her and she would talk and I would have no idea what she was saying. But she had a great conversation. And again, I would get up and I would leave and I would think, well, whatever that was for, I hope somebody got something. And after nine or ten months of this, over and over and over and over again, of visiting with people I may or may not have understood. I walked in on my last day. I just wanted to say goodbye to those who were still there. And I walked in, and I went to say hello to the librarian. I went to say hello to a few others. Mitch Hitch, Miss Hitch had passed away, and I was about to leave, and there was Miss Sarah by the elevator. And, of course, she wanted to go. And she started talking to me, and I walked over to her, and I knelt down, and she strained to look at, up at me, and she said, I just love it when you come here. We love it when you come here, because you smile, and you'll talk, and you'll listen, and you make us feel free. That phrase has haunted me ever since. Because I don't know. I don't know what I did. I was just there. I just listened as I could, and I spoke as I felt led, or at least pretended. I didn't know anything. But there's something in that moment, in that experience with Miss Sarah in that wheelchair on that floor when she said, you make us feel free. Knowing that she cannot get up and walk, she's not going to leave that floor, she's not going to go out of that building, not on her own. But she can feel free. That's something of faith, and it's more of her faith than mine. It was more of Christ's faith than mine, and more than hers. This was a gift of God. A gift that told Miss Sarah that you can be free. Because you have trusted Jesus Christ with everything. And you have sensed the presence of the living God. And you have listened and you have heard and you have obeyed. That's the only way that Miss Sarah could ever feel free. That's the only way that any of us can feel free. We are told this, we are given this inclination in, in, in Mark chapter 16. Hear now this, this very familiar story from the Gospel of Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought, brought, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out 
and fled the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And this is the word of God for the people of God. These women had shown up because their culture dictated that they were to go and anoint the body of Christ. Mary's son, their Messiah, their rabbi. They had watched him die a horrible death on a cross. And they knew where he was buried. And they went there expecting to find that body to be anointed with those spices they had bought. Their vision was limited. They were trapped by what they expected. They were still trapped by death and by mortality. But God had gone before them, the living God who was ever-present with us, had gone before the women and had rolled away that, that rock, that large stone that they were worried about, that they were most concerned about. How are we going to get this stone out of the way so we can get to the body? That was their concern. But God had gone before, rolled away the stone, and allowed them to go about what they thought was the business of anointing a body. But we know now, 2,000 years later, that it was their faith, it was their trusting, it was their obedient hearing in the living God who called them to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ had risen, had been raised from the dead by God, had been sent out of that tomb, and now they were sent to tell Peter and the disciples the good news so that the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, resurrected and lives with us today. In this story of the resurrection, we find God freeing us. Freeing all humanity. If only we respond to the good news and to the truth that God, the living God, is present with us. And if we will only put our whole trust of our whole being into Christ, we will find a freedom that rolls away stones, that opens our eyes to an empty tomb, that opens our experiences and hearts to a sense of freedom that is only a gift from God. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter how dark our, our days are, because with God, we find freedom. And in freedom, we know that God will never leave us we know and believe and put our whole trust in the God who will never leave us and will love us no matter what comes at us in this life or in the next. Paul is dealing with a 
congregation or several congregations in Galatia. And they have been met with strife after strife after strife. Paul and Barnabas had passed through and they had delivered the message, proclaimed the good news, evangelized the area and the towns and, and, all, and built churches, communities of faith in those towns. But since they left, other teachers, other evangelists have come in behind them. And in Galatians chapter 5, we begin to hear Paul wrap up his arguments against those evangelists and teachers who have been saying to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to follow the Mosaic law. You need to be circumcised. You can't follow Christ without it. And Paul counters this and says that we are free from the law. If you're a Gentile, you don't need to go through circumcision. You don't need to follow that. We are free because that stone has been rolled away because God has gifted us Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has sacrificed Himself by love and grace that we can be free from all that binds us and holds us down, even the law. This is a powerful thing that Paul is offering. He goes on to say that if, if you get circumcised and you are saying Jesus Christ is not enough, if you think you have to follow the law and believe in Jesus, then Jesus is not enough. When Paul knows, and our faith tells us, that Jesus Christ is more than sufficient to cover our sins, to justify us to be in a relationship with God and with one another, and in that, we find freedom to be the church. To be a community of faith that can reach out in hospitality and grace and love and surround one another with warmth. When we hurt. When the days are dark beyond imagination. Like this past week. We are gifted with the fruits of the Spirit. And that allows us to be free to be the church, to care for one another, to love one another, to wrap one another, to embrace each other, and to lift each other up. That's freedom. It's not freedom in the sense that we can just kind of go do whatever, whenever, however. But we're free to be the people that God has called us to be. We're not trapped. We're not bound. But we can follow. We can be the church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.